You're listening to BQN. Assimilate the audio. Welcome, listeners, to another episode of All Good Things, a Star Trek Universe podcast here on BQN and the Fandom Podcast Network. I'm your host, Kelvin, and with me today are Christos, Amy, and Mark. Hi, guys. How are we doing? How are you doing, Amy? I'm doing great. Not as good as Christos since someone went to the Picard premiere, but I'm excited to be here to talk Star Trek. Fantastic. Uh, Mark, how are you doing this week? Oh my God, I'm I'm covered in, in paint and uh, all kinds of art materials. <laughs> I've been going crazy uh, the last couple of weeks with uh, getting ready for, you know, Picard season three, which is pretty much to be covered by most of the shows here on the network, and that means a lot of a lot of art. Indeed, but it's been indeed. fun. <laughs> so, Christos, tell us, but don't tell us. How was <laughs> it? We all want to know. Uh, I think the best way I can always sum up, besides the fact that just it was a perfect evening, as I've described it, having now seen the first two episodes, Picard season three, uh, so far I can say it's everything I think we've, we were hoping for so far. It's just the first two episodes are like, wow. So, wow. Yay. I mean, you can't get a better endorsement than that from a lifelong Beverly Crusher fan. So technically yeah, this episode drops when, when the episode does. So there won't be any spoilers, but it would spoil it for the three of you. It will kill you. So uh, yeah, no more spoilers. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, you'll just have to wait another week for episode two. Indeed. Mark? Uh, I think the real test is going to be Joe Keegan. I'm going to, I'm being honest, I'm not even throwing shade, but Joe Keegan has been very harsh on Picard season one and two. And as, I mean, obviously we all know how much he loves and adores TNG. So if he gets the stand-up of approval on season three, then I think that Terry Metalis did it. I mean, I'm going to love it either way, so I think I'm biased. <laughs> but well, if Joe likes it, wow. <laughs> Let's see. Well, Amy and I had a chat to, I had a chance to chat with Joe yesterday on The Hive Mind, and I, I, I have high hopes that Joe will love the, at least the early part of season three. I, can't, I obviously can't say the whole season, but he, uh, I think he's going to be back in, back in the fold. So, so we're all going to have our popcorn ready to listen to Joe on Galaxy Class next week. For <laughs> yeah, be kind with him, Amy. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Right. Well, shall we have a look and see if we've had any feedback on last week's episode, which was our episode one one zero eight Picard season three pre watch playlist. Uh, Christos, has anyone any special? left any feedback anywhere well i think uh our our own mark white got like the best compliment that one could ever hope to get and that is a shout out from miss gates mcfadden herself who has actually asked for a copy of the artwork from our previous episode that mr mark made himself so wow wow Wow. congratulations mark how'd you feel mark after getting such high praise it's one of those things in life, like winning the lottery. I can't even describe the the feelings when Christos posted that. The feeling that just washed over me. It was just a shock. And just, um, like, I'm getting emotional now thinking about it. It was just 
I mean, she, when I was a little boy, she was just everything to me, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, everybody knows, you know, I love Jordy and I love the dynamic with Data, but Gates really, for me, like, she was like another, like, mom figure to me uh, when I was a kid. And so to get that praise from somebody that you looked up to for so long as like a parental figure and a role model means everything. Yeah, it was well, great. mommy wants to put your artwork on the <laughs> fridge. So well done. <laughs> yes. Amy, Amy, what did she say? What did she leave? It was on Twitter, wasn't it? Yes, it was. And I have a sneaking suspicion because Christos and Gates are a little bit tight on Twitter that she probably found it on your wall, Christos. That's my hunch. And she said, how can I get this artwork for my wall? So gorgeous. Oh my gosh. Like she wants it in her house. Come on. That is so amazing. Mark, I am so excited and happy and just joyous for you. Another uh, user, uh, Zelda McGregor, went on to say, this is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. Mm. So well done. A career in art beckons, Mark. You're (laughs) you're wasted on all good things. (laughs) No. Well, and we can tease that we don't know how or how we'll distribute, but there may be limited edition prints here coming soon of that uh, 108 artwork. Stay tuned. Pressure's on now, Mark. You've got to maintain this high every week. It (laughs) came from, uh, you know, the art, because I have essentially a week between episodes, I'm sort of limited in time with what I can do. Uh, So I've had to get really creative with it. But it came from a need to have something different from all of the promotional materials put out by Paramount because everybody, all the podcasts are using the official artwork. And I'm like, well, for all good things, we should be special. We should do something different from what every other podcast is doing. So I wanted to create something unique. Uh, And so I just got what I could uh, from all of the various promotional images that have come out. And I put something together uh, that's just for us. Yeah. Amazing. Listeners, Mark is very meticulous about that. It's very often that he will start on something and then show it to the rest of us and ask for input. And uh, he's just so trying to get it right. Um, and, you know, uh, but um, he hit it out of the park with this one. So absolutely. Congrats. Round of applause. Uh, so from art to geography, Mark, do you tell us what's going on in the world? Well, now it's time for all good world from las vegas to boston usa to canada and south america from the united kingdom to south africa from russia to australia the south pacific and beyond this is all good world we highlighted different locations around the globe this podcast has reached and today's episode we'd like to give a special shout out to north macedonia now Fun fact, I didn't even know this was a country. So I saw it in our list and I was like, wow, I've never heard of North Macedonia as a country. Well, that's because it's relatively new. Uh, Officially, the Republic of North Macedonia is a country in Southeast Europe. It gained independence in 1991 as one of the successor states of Yugoslavia. North Macedonia is a landlocked country that is geographically uh, clearly defined by a central valley formed by the uh, like Vardar River and framed along its borders by mountain ranges. The terrain is mostly rugged, 
located between the Sar Mountains and Osogovo, which frame the valley of the Vardar River. So that is really cool. We have some listeners in North Macedonia. So, hey, guys. Hey, so hey. as a Brit, I, I know where North Macedonia is because of the Eurovision Song Contest. So they quite often enter. Uh, and so, yeah, I know those really? guys. Oh. oh, that's awesome. They get some talented musicians there in the mountains, I guess. All throughout Europe we do. Yeah, cool. <laughs> right, okay. Uh, let's have a look at this week's topic. So this week we are going to continue our genetic engineering series uh, part two, with a special focus on the episode from Deep Space Nine, Dr. Bashir, I presume. So, Amy, do you want to help us out a little bit with an episode synopsis? Well, sure. Uh, Deep Space Nine receives a special visitor, Dr. Lewis Zimmerman, of course, played by the Robert Picardo who informs Julian Bashir that he's been selected to be the model of the new LMH, long-term medical hologram, not to be confused with the EMH. So during the development, Dr. Zimmerman uncovers some secrets from Julian's past, or Jules' past, <laughs> which could put his career and freedom in jeopardy. Elsewhere, Rom continues to attempt to woo Lita as she is tempted to leave DS9 for a career on Jupiter Station. Can Rom stop her? Thank you, Amy. <laughs> so uh, I'm really excited that we're uh, not only excited that we're doing a Deep Space Nine episode this week, but what a great episode. I love, love, love this episode. Um, but what about the rest of us? Clearly, this is a huge part of character development for uh, Julian Bashir. Christos, what do you think of the episode? Did, did you like it? Did you like what they did with Julian with this aspect of his character? Uh, yes, um, I actually have been warming up to Bashir. I always liked Bashir. He was just kind of like, okay to me. But I've been doing a lot of rewatching of DS9 all over the series, you know, and I just jumped from season seven to season four, but in back to season six and all over the place. But I'm really growing to like Bashir more and more. I feel like uh, um, he's a really... I don't want to say underappreciated character, but definitely was pretty annoying in the early seasons. But I feel this episode is a big turning point because to talk about like a big left turn with the character, suddenly, you know, there's this huge thing about him um, that obviously is, has implications that we're still talking about mm -hmm. with Strange New Worlds and, and um, Una and things like that. So like, it's still like huge, um, but um yeah, it, it's I like the I like the episode and I really like that it adds a huge level of of development and and I think it makes the character far more interesting. Um and that's what I really like about this episode the most. Fantastic. What do you think, Mark? I agree with Christos. I think the writers early on didn't really know what to do with him. Um he was definitely, you know, for like the gay audience, kind of the space twink. And he had that thing going on with Garrick and uh, got to love that. But really, he didn't. aside from that, didn't have much going on. They didn't know what to do with him besides just being sort of eye candy. And I think they started uh, in the later seasons. And you can see from this one, uh, really trying to figure out what to do with him and really building his backstory uh, in a really cool and unique, interesting way. 
Um, I like what they did here. Eventually, they had that he was tied up, I guess, with Section 31 and that whole thing. And so that was interesting as well. But sort of this was like the beginning of, I think, his real growth on the show. Um, and he had some great dialogue in this episode that I loved, some great exposition. Um, yeah, it was it was cool. It was a cool watch. I, I really enjoyed this episode. Amy, did you enjoy it? Yeah, and sort of with Bashir, I remember when I did my rewatch a couple years ago, and yeah, like Christos was saying, it was annoying at the beginning, and they didn't know what to do, like Mark was saying, with Bashir. And we get this amazing episode that has so much depth, so much context. We learn so much. I mean, not only with Bashir and the genetic engineering and his relationship with his parents and how complex that is and the hurt that he has. And I also really love the Ram and Lita story and how complex and difficult that is. And they each show the struggles so well in this episode. And then that makes me wonder, this is what, season five? Late. Yeah. Yeah, we are a good two thirds of the way into series five by this point. And to me, that creates a little bit of an issue of it's such a bombshell moment for the character that to find this out so late into the series run. I'm you know what I'm like nitpicking. I'm thinking, oh, what continuity errors is this? You know, they make a joke, they write it in about the darts and the hand-eye yes. coordination, like, oh, you should have been playing better all along. But what about other things like when he couldn't find a cure for the quickening in season four? Surely he would have been able to find a cure much quicker, or any aspect of peril that Julian Bashir's previously been in, would that have had to be retconned in any kind of way? So that's the only factor I have about this, but I do love it. I'm not sure Um, that they would really need to retcon that because, you know, even though he was genetically modified in a way, I don't get the impression that he was genetically modified in the Khan Noonien Singh kind of way. Like he was slightly modified uh, and improved a little bit, but I don't think that they went full, you know, <laughs> what do you think, Christos? Well, genetically modified doesn't mean perfect, you know. So just because he couldn't find a cure for a disease, for example, doesn't mean, you know, that doesn't make sense, you know, in continuity. Um, I feel like, you know, you know, you can be genetically modified and still not be able to solve a problem. And that that's okay. It's a big problem to solve, you know. So um, I don't think it creates huge continuity issues. Maybe there's going to be a little thing here or there, but I think they were doing, I think they realized they needed to do something with this character. And uh, that's what this episode was meant to do. And I think it set up a lot more for what came after, like you said, with the section 31 stuff and everything that it made it, it was, it was far more good than harm. To yeah, and you you mentioned you mentioned Christos about later in the franchise with with Una, but um, in reading some of the show notes, Ronald D. Moore mentioned that they haven't even mentioned the eugenics war at any other point in Star Trek or about augments or genetic engineering, and this was the very first. And think about everything that came afterwards with 
you know, Soong on Enterprise with the augments and um, Dahl in Prodigy. And there's been, it's it's literally been in every other franchise since. So it's such a turning point. It really is. Amy? So I have a question about that. When the parents took Bashir to that planet, something prime, Imzadi prime or something, what was Adigion it? Adigion prime. That one. Is that the same planet that they go to in Prodigy? Ooh. Um, because I, I felt like Prodigy so. had something prime where Dahl got modified. Oh, I'll need to go back and fact check that one, but I don't think it is. Uh, if it oh, is, that's a huge Mr. Trexperts does not know the answer to this. <laughs> what? It's I well, Prodigy's not Berman era. It's it not does. in the hive. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just giving you a hard time. Don't make me get my crown out again, Christos. Oh, <laughs> oh boy. So bringing us on to Julian's parents. So this was what I felt the, the heart of this show. This this episode was so great because it really balanced comedy moments and really deep heart. Um, and, yeah, just reconciling what Julian's parents did to him as a child. How how are we feeling about that? Do the, do the ends justify the means? It's all good. It's give our character a little bit of spice to him, but... Just consider, here's two parents that took their child away for illegal experimentation. What what do we think? What do you think about that, Christos? Um, you know, I've given this a lot of thought because you talk about, you know, fixing a, something with a child, fixing a broken child, if, if you want to call it that, like, quote unquote, you know, um, you know, he wasn't as smart as the others. And I think of this, you know, parents and genetic manipulation. What if what if Julian were gay and his parents took him to be genetically altered to make him straight? How yeah, would we feel about therapy. that? That were, yeah, like, well, it's more than conversion therapy. Conversion therapy is all, you know, you know, psychosis and whatnot. This is actually going into your genome and changing who you are fundamentally. Um, that really can't be, you know, just undone or overcome. I mean, you hear all the time of gays that were sent to conversion therapy and it didn't work or, you know, they get away from their parents when they turn 18 and then they go, go be themselves, which is, that's just awful in itself. But this is like fundamentally changing something about a person. And, you know, you can be pragmatic and say, well, look, he turned out great. He's super smart, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, he never got a chance to be himself. Like, like, like Jules says, he, you never even gave him a chance. Yeah. 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 But as Miles says, that didn't change your personality. That didn't change your passion, your integrity, your work ethic. Like that is him. So did it really change his identity fundamentally? I think fundamentally those traits are what's going to be consistent. Isn't it just a bit of a lottery, though, with this genetic resequencing? We see all of the other um, characters, shall we call them, that have gone through it in statistical probabilities and then Serena Douglas later on in that episode. And clearly that has had a huge effect on their personality, whether it makes them, you know, hypersexualized, like, uh, is it Lauren, her name is, or catatonic, like Serena? Um, you know, Julian really looked out that it went right for him. So, you know, should he be grateful or is this just parents taking a huge gamble 
I always felt like Bashir always came across as arrogant. And I think super, super smart people can sometimes be arrogant as a result of a superiority complex. So was he altered? I mean, yes, they peppered all that stuff in with uh, Miles to kind of smooth it over or make him feel okay or make it okay. But, you know, really, was Bashir not, was his personality really not altered? Question mark. You know, I can't say that it was or wasn't, but, you know, he does. That was part of the beef about Bashir early on in the series was that he did come across as very arrogant and he was written that way. So I would think somebody, you know, and that's something, like I said, a trait that some um, super smart academics can come across as that way because it, it comes across as superior as time. Yeah. And don't they say superior intellect breeds superior ambition? And that was kind of the hallmark of Khan. And so it's a fine line. Mm-hmm. What do you think, Mark, about these pushy parents? Well, my head was going to, would there be a scenario where if I had a child, would I do what the Bashirs have done? And I want to say no with the exception that if honestly like we're talking 20 you know third 24th century whatever if they could detect it early on that the kid had some fundamental irreparable you know brain damage or whatever that could be fixed or they would you know um have have some issue that would affect them on a fundamental way their whole life that had the ability to be fixed, yes, I would, but not going so far to make them like a superhuman, right? And not do it in a way that, you know, if somebody just has like ADHD, that's not something that you need to go in and, um, I guess, genetically fix, you know, or somebody that might be slower at math, go in and there and fix. But if somebody, you know, has some sort of, you know, brain abnormality, yeah which would cause them to be come out extremely uh, mentally slow, being able to push a button and make them essentially at the speed as their peers. I would probably do that if I could push a button. Yeah. Interesting. I I don't know about the rest of you guys. Interesting. What do you think, Amy? Well, it's interesting that you go there because I was thinking about this also. And I'm like, none of us have children. So we don't really know exactly what we would do. And that moment where his mom is like, you can say whatever you want. It was illegal. It was immoral. But you cannot say that we were ashamed of you. And to have that realization that it's like, yeah, he was feeling like his parents were ashamed for all of these years. How old is he in this episode? 27? Uh, I mean, he at no, least... He's over 30. It was, yeah. it was 13 season three. This is season five, 32. So but he's still a space twink. He found out at age 15. So, you know, there's a good 17 years of him feeling the mm-hmm. shame and carrying it around with him that his parents weren't happy with him. And then to finally have this come out that it's like, we were never ashamed with you. We wanted to give you the best life possible. And yeah, we made a mistake. And finally, they get to own up to it. But their intent, you know, I think that changes their relationship. Christos? Yeah, no, I think 
you're right. I mean, the intent was there. I just think it's the reason why this is, I guess, banned, I think, is where I was going. Because what if you had other less, you know, reputable parents who want to change something else? And like I said, whether it, you know, could be, you know, like I mentioned, you know, a gay gene or could it be, you know, I mean, there's so many other things that, you know, you could genetically manipulate physical appearance, physical capability, which we saw with Khan. Um, so I, I don't doubt that the parent's heart was in the right place. I just think that, you know, what, you know, what if it were something else and, you know, you fundamentally change who somebody is. And I think that's the danger of it. And I think it's implied why it's illegal. Um, but I don't think the parent's heart was, was in the wrong place. In relation to what we're talking about, what about kids today that you can tell like in the maybe in the womb or whatnot that they have two genders and it's up to the parents to sort of decide which one to go with, um, which happens, you know, yeah, sometimes. I, um, I, I, how do we I feel about that? Controversial, Mark. If I see any of my friends who are pregnant and they say they're having things like gender reveal parties i like roll my eyes like a slot machine because i'm like that is just so oh it, it's just not the done thing even in this day and age and i find it quite distasteful so even if we're not talking about those kind of atypicalities in kind of fetal development more just parents deciding pushing gender you know pink pink clothes for the girls boys toys for the boys even just being gay we know we didn't even fit those models so it, it happens now um i don't feel and and then you've all backed you backed us up there just by you saying christos that the parents heart was in the right place they weren't demonized or made into villains in this episode in fact they're just kind of losers in a way really you know they're saying i'm your legacy i'm your greatest creation but if you think about voyager when Balana tried to genetically modify Miral in the womb to remove the cranial ridges so she wouldn't get bullied like she did, it was a very, very different narrative. And it was almost like Balana was demonized and she had to reprogram the doctor to make him do it. And Janeway and Paris were trying to stop her. So that was very villainous almost. Whereas this was just accepted that yeah, the heart was in the right place. It all worked out. So there was only a few years between these two episodes. What a great right. shout out, Calvin. Yeah, yeah, perfect to look at both of those episodes. That might be another one that we, you know, watch in the future. For I know. This series. Where's the lines this between the genetic engineering and the medical ethics almost, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Really, that it covers both right. subjects. Well, I think that's the, that's the heart of it. This is all about ethics, right? You know, um, and I always felt just real low key, real fast. That episode of Voyager was at the time season, I was season seven. Like mm. Balana had already come to terms a lot with her Klingon heritage. So I thought that was a weird kind of out of place thing for her to be doing. Like that should have been like a season two story for Balana, not a season seven. But um, anyways, Back to Deep Space Nine, yeah. Um, <laughs> Would have been a bit more dramatic if Tom Paris got her pregnant in season two. <laughs> very much so, very much so. It, just, it was just like, I, I thought that was a reach to make an episode yeah. at, for Voyager at that point. Um, yeah. So did you think that it was 
logical for Julian to think that he would go to prison, that he would lose his Starfleet commission. Yeah. Because it wasn't his um, choice. It, 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 it wasn't. But again, yeah, I sorry for keep using the gay analogy, but when if you think of being in in the service before like don't ask, don't tell, mm. you know, if, if someone was gay and you're in the army or the air force and it, it came okay. out, then you were out. So That's true. It, it, That's true. it's similar. It's not it's not who who did the deed, it's just you 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 don't fit the model, you're not allowed in this club. Right. Um, I felt like I think it was right for him to think that he could have been kicked out of Starfleet for sure, especially since he technically lied. He knew he was genetically modified when he applied. Um, so he did lie for him to go to jail. I don't think. No, he didn't commit a crime. To your point, his parents did. So I just think he would have been kicked out of Starfleet. And it's still yeah. a little suspect. It's a little kind of like when we wrap things up with a bow on it at the end, the fact that he doesn't get kicked out of Starfleet is a little bit like okay that's just television right um they you know you know you could say hey they were you know about to go to war i mean were we at war with the dominion technically yet like hey we need people like him and obviously maybe there were people already in the background the section 31 sign saying this could be a good operative for us you know but yeah it is a little bit convenient that he's not kicked out it sort of reminds me on the drumhead TNG with the guy hiding his Romulan heritage, right? Simon's and coffee. he knew that it was a conscious choice for him to not reveal that. Um, and then that came out. Uh, so interesting. Yeah, you're right. Mm. He did. He was in the other, uh, another space twink. Oh, yeah. yeah. He, he's, he's still quite attractive. He grew up, he was on Voyager when it, uh, several years later when he grew up. He's still, still a looker even today. Um, something that really resonated with this episode with me, though, was Julian's relationship with his parents. The whole kind of embarrassment of them arriving on the station, the frosty relationship. Um, and, yeah, as someone who isn't particularly close to my own parents, I, I found it a very sad but relatable watch of... You don't have anything in common. You want to get them off the station. Obviously, there's a secret to be kept. But, um, yeah, this kind of aspect of your personality, of your identity, has caused a huge amount of conflict with your parents. And as a result, you're a stranger to your own family. So, yeah, I, I found that quite difficult to watch personally. I did as well. I have a father very similar to Julian's father where there's always something on the next horizon and it's going to happen. I'm going to make my riches. And, you know, my dad's 76. I don't know. It needs to get a move on. It was very difficult to watch that relationship. Um, mm. and, and in part, and I don't know if... If Julian acting superior would be actually natural with his father, or if that's just the way he was written since day one. I think it would be natural because of him finding out at a young age that he was genetically modified and then immediately being like, what, you changed who I was because you weren't satisfied with who I was and holding that resentment over the years and it just grows and grows and grows and eventually you just can't even have a conversation or talk to them because you're just mm -hmm. so like who are these people that was monstrous because as you you know grow older 
and you start going out into society, going out into the world and talking to other people, you look back at your past and your upbringing and what your, your parents may, you know, behaved as, uh, with fresh eyes. And so maybe it only made things worse. Yeah. I think, you know, you see, okay, for, you get past the, they did this to me thing, but automatically then Julian is that much smarter of a person, an individual. And to your point, Kelvin, you used the word losers, but you know, they're just average Joes and may not have always may not be making the right choices in life or that. So you're going to look at them like I'm smarter than them and I can see mistakes that they're making. I can see how they could have done this better. They could, you know, and so there is going to be that you totally get that from the father. The father's got his beef with Julian that he thinks he's better than them and he's 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 judging them. And you know, that is something that they brought on themselves in a sense. And there is fallout for that because he the, the father does feel judged by Julian um, as far as him not being as successful. So it's, it's, it's very complex, obviously. Yeah. You know, and one thing that I like to what we talked about at the beginning, like, because this is such a huge, deep secret, this family secret, it almost makes sense that it's in late season five. It sort of builds that because you're like, yeah, so much has happened and no one knows for the past five and a half years, no one knows this thing about Julian. It sort of adds to it. So I'm actually okay that it comes so late. Although I can see a point for an argument to be made for coming earlier. But I think it builds that suspense mm. and the gravity of this choice that his parents made. How how interesting, though, obviously, episodic TV, the way it works, we're all very, very familiar. But how interesting would it have been for us, the viewers, to have known this secret leading up to? And then, obviously, there's the revelation of the character and everyone else finding out much, you know. So I think that could have been a lot more powerful. But clearly, episodes weren't written like that yeah. back in the days. <laughs> but, uh yeah. And then, well, you know, before we move away from the parents, you know, there was the element of comeuppance. Uh, the, the dad have to, had to go to prison for two years. So what do we even think of that? Did the, did the time serve the crime? <laughs> Were we happy with that justice of two years in a light Federation penal colony working on his little designs? It, I don't know. It didn't really seem tantamount to child abuse for me. <laughs> I don't yeah. think it really fit the bill. Two years just seemed very, very lenient. Yeah. Like I was saying, I felt like the way it ends is you create all this great drama and it's a great story. And then at the end, oh, it's all okay. It's swept under the rug. I mean, two years in a, you know, it, it's just, it's like we make everything all right again. And I, that's the kind of flaw to some of Star Trek at times. Um, that everything is hunky-dory by the end of the episode and it's time to move on to next week. Um, yeah. Because, he was treated like yeah. Cleveland Booker, I guess. Yeah. Uh, yeah, a great point. Yeah, absolutely. The, oh. the ethical reset. <laughs> you guys, you're getting me hot. <laughs> oh, you're turning red. You're literally turning red. <laughs> okay, listen. What punishment would you have wanted to give him? What punishment could there be? Okay. He's so, already suffered. The deed has been done. 
it's two years. Absolutely. That fits the crime that was so long ago. Did you want him castrated? Did you want him hung up from a tree? Like Rorapente. justice would there be? Could there be any justice for the that? ice mines, the ice mines? <laughs> Remember why the ban on genetic manipulation is in place. It's very, 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 very dangerous. One man's Julian Bashir could be the next man's con as a result Absolutely. of this. It's yeah. a very serious crime in the Federation. And Genesis! By, Which is why it shouldn't giving, be done, but, yeah. but it was done. Right. But Amy, when you when you when you have a crime and you're busted and you confess and you give a little slap on the face. Does that encourage other discourage others it's from not doing the parents. same? Mm. The I mean, parents it's not a will never. Oh, do this look, again. he did it, and he got two years in a fluff. And then mm. it sets a precedence that if somebody does do it, then it's discrimination that you gave somebody else a very light sentence, and you gave me a bigger sentence. So yeah. it sets a huge precedence for the next person to go do it because they it got a real, real, real fluffy uh, response from Starfleet. So. And if you remember Altan Soong, yes, one of the many Soongs, he was incarcerated indefinitely in Enterprise when he was tinkering with all the eugenics embryos. So, you know, he got locked up forever. Julian's dad got two years. So, yeah, maybe the Federation Judicial Service got a little bit more lenient after 100 years of uh, dealing with augment crime. Uh, so, yeah. Right. Yeah, my only beef with this episode is the sentencing at the end. It's a little bit too light-handed and very much the whole everything is okay. And we we did all this. We up, we did this big upheaval. And at the end, there's very little consequences for those mm. involved. Shall we, shall we take a lighter look at this episode and explore <laughs> a little bit of our B-plot, uh, if you will? So... This is obviously the culmination of several episodes starting from Bar Association in season four. Uh, was lots of hints of Rom and Lita. Get it, will they, won't they? Uh, and now we've got Lewis Zimmerman thrown in for the most random love triangle you'll ever see uh, with great comedy effect uh, and balance to the episode. Every episode needs a little bit of heart. What do you think of this uh, love triangle, Amy? I love it. And the reason why I love it is because last year on the cruise, I heard Chase Masterson talk about the romance that she had with Rom. And to hear her describe Rom and how Lita loves Rom and the acceptance and the being themselves like, I am completely on board with these two getting together. And I just love that hesitancy because my gosh, so many guys just don't know how to say, or I let me rephrase, so many people don't know how to say how they feel. Mm -hmm. And so we get that. It is so relatable. And you're like, do I just put it all out on the line? And yes, you have to, if you want to make something special. So I'm in love with this storyline. Mark, what do you think? I think that maybe Lita sees in him someone that is looking at her as a full uh, person and not just, you know, her aesthetic, right? And she sees Rom in a way where 
you know, she sees what he's capable of more than what he might project. So it's, it's almost like the reverse a little bit, you know? And uh, so they recognize in each other something that uh, the rest of the world doesn't. And I think that's what makes them a, a great power couple. Oh, that's a nice way of looking at it. What do you think, Christos? Well, I think Rom is the great underdog of DS9. And if you look at his journey as starting off as, you know, second fiddle to Quark working in the bar to, you know, having raising this son on the station who's kind of a little miscreant in the beginning and uh, turns into quite the officer. And Rom becomes an engineer for the station. And then he gets Lita. And then he becomes the Grand Nagus. I mean, talk about the journey of a character from starting off at the very lowest, you know, I mean, just kind of being a common everyday man who's to basically, you know, <laughs> becoming the head of a, a head of a whole civilization. Um, it's kind of like, it just kind of that message that, Hey, things kind of turn out well for the underdog and he gets the girl, he gets the, uh, you know, uh, he gets everything in the end. And I think that's kind of, this episode progresses that journey for, for Rom as one of the, as he just keeps on building in status as the show goes on. So I'm here for it. I love it. What do you think, Kelvin? Um, I've seen this episode a hundred times, probably over the years. And it wasn't until I, I did my rewatch in prep for today that I, it really struck me how great an actor Max Grudenchik is in the kind of the physical comedy and the two standout moments for me one's at the beginning one's at the end but the beginning where Lita toddles over from the Dabo wheel and he's you know she's willing him to say something and he just says bye and then walks away had me in stitches <laughs> and I don't usually I'm, I, I, I make no secrets of the fact that the Ferengi episodes are not my favorite episodes. I often find that I know they're supposed to be the light relief to a very dark series, but the individual ROM episodes I, I really enjoy. And then at the end, um, when Louis Zimmerman's leaving and he's doing that big monologue and him and Lita are talking just after Lita and ROM have kissed, um, the performance of him just dumbstruck and almost swaying around because he's just been kissed by Lita is so physically funny. Is uh, Yeah, so I, I loved it for that reason. It's not something I would expect to love, but I love the charm of it. It's great. What about you, Mark? If I just... Am I understanding you correctly calvin you've already explained that you do not like the klingon episodes of deep space nine <laughs> now you're saying you do not like the ferengi episodes of deep space nine uh which episodes pray tell of deep space nine do you actually like as the biggest deep space nine fan which you uh say that you are <laughs> oh my gosh mark i love you so much that's hilarious <laughs> Uh, I know I've really just pulled at the tapestry of DS9 there. It's a bit threadbare, isn't it, now, without <laughs> Ferengis and Klingons? Um, I like any of the Kira and Dax episodes, of course. I'm quite keen on the religion and the political aspect. And, but, uh, yeah. So if you take out the other characters, then you like Deep Space Nine. <laughs> <laughs> but if you throw like... in all of these other species, you're like, nah, uh, I'll skip this no. one, I'll skip that oh. one. <laughs> I like Quark, I like Rom, I love Nog, 
I think they're great in the regular ensemble episodes, but when it's a full Ferengi episode, they're not my favorite. Of which there's only there's only about half a dozen at the most. So yeah, you don't like Mogi? No. Oh my God. <laughs> really who is she? Who is Moogie played by? Oh my God! What's well, the actress's name? Two actresses. They had an original actress in season three, and then they got Cecily Adams uh, from, I think, season five onwards. She was fantastic. Uh, Love her. Yeah, she's a funny actress. I just didn't hugely like the character. She she tamed the Grand Nagus. <laughs> yeah. uh, so back to the episode. And after their kiss, I love what the doctor said. True love must conquer all or, you know, something to that effect. I just thought that was the perfect response. And he was mature enough and was like, oh, yep, you didn't want me. Okay, I'll move on. What a healthy attitude to have when dating. I loved it. Oh, Amy, I find it beyond interesting that that's how you read that exchange because to me I read it as I didn't really care about you anyway I just thought you were quite hot and I wanted to get you to Jupiter yeah. station and oh look here's yeah, another I, hot woman walking it. towards me now bye Lita it wasn't magnanimous Rom you win you're the better man it was just eh, oh well it was worth a shot Doug Zimmerman was I, on space tinder yeah I took it as there's thousands of you out there next yeah Absolutely. And and what did we think about that kind of portrayal of Dr. Z? It was a bit creepy. He's, it, it's, yeah. I don't think that aged particularly well. He was, he was quite predatory. Well, yeah. And you, you see him, you know, we see him again, right. In Voyager. Um, yeah. He's, it's, I, they continue that along. He's, that's just who he is, but I mean, it takes two to tango. I mean, it's not like he's drugging anybody or doing anything. You know what I mean? Like that. It, he's it's pretty straightforward who he is. And there's a little bit of that. In, and there's a little bit of that in Voyager too, with with Cass and a little bit with you know Seven of Nine. Uh, oh, let me teach you about you know human oh. dating practices. And you know, it's like oh, interesting, okay. Mark. Are you suggesting that Lewis Zimmerman's womanizing ways have somehow become part of the emh's matrix um oh maybe yeah, EMH is a little bit yeah. i think i'm saying that pretty clearly yeah i don't <laughs> think there's any illusions yes i, I think that that's a, they sort of scanned his personality and it's sort of over there it might not be as strong but yeah there's there's definitely aspects of that within uh, the doctor's character now i love the doctor but you know obviously i recognize that about him as well okay if we're ranking creepy, weird, womanizing people on Star Trek, and there are many, unfortunately, I would hard. not put the doctor at the top. I would put Bashir over the doctor, in part because at the beginning, his infatuation with Lita and yeah. then with uh, Jadzia, and it's like, they, at least with Jadzia, it wasn't welcome. And with Lewis and Lita, she was very interested. She accepted the dinner date. She was having a good time. She was laughing and giving him eyes. Like that was consensual. They both wanted it. And yeah, it was, they were, he was on the station for what, two weeks. That was it. Mm. So it's not like they, 
were going to, you know, go off and live the rest of their life. It was like, oh, here's an opportunity. I'd like to get to know you more. That's sort of how I was reading it. And then the last scene when that the other woman walked by, oh, how are you? That's just Berman era Trek that I just have to push off and say whatever. But I don't get the major creep vibes from right. Robert Maybe Ricardo. I need to explain myself a little then. So for, there's two things I just very quickly want to come back to there, Amy. So where you mentioned about Jadzia and Julian, it was actually explicitly said in the dialogue for this episode when Zimmerman was giving the interviews to the senior staff and he says to Jadzia, so are you implying he harassed you with unwanted sexual advances? And she said, no, but he was very persistent. Right. And there playfully, she loved it. And that is why I love Dax, because she loved playing him along. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's been dealt with too. But when you... Um, uh, what, was the, what was the other point you just made then? Uh, so we said about Dax... And then Zimmerman being on for two weeks. Yeah, that's right. So there was, to me, and I don't want us to use too strong a word, but there was an element almost of grooming of, I've got you a job at Jupiter Station. You're going to be the manager of the cafe. You can live with me. It was all, you know, trying to provide and, dare I say, buy Lita. And I didn't like it. I don't think it was just the flirtatious your heart let's hook up he was very much manipulating Ison. i didn't i didn't find it comfortable that's not how i've won a man in the past i've not got them yeah (laughs) yeah i think it's kind of predatory because you go after a certain type of person i suppose you know i have been on the other side of a table on more than one occasion where i've had guys promising me is is to as far oh you wouldn't even have to work i'm like yeah and there goes all my freedom you know, stuff like that. So when you take somebody who may be like in an, a lesser vulnerable. position, I'm a Davo girl, you know, for mm-hmm. you're vulnerable because you're, you're you're basically working in a bar on a space station, you know, and offer them the world. It's sometimes it's it's very easy to see yes. And then you're mm-hmm. and you're in yeah. that relationship and then you're trapped and blah, blah, blah. Well, so, great. Okay. Now I'm re-imaging how I'm seeing this. Okay, all right. Amy, well, we're here what, to make you wise what, to the world of men and all of that's the... That's what the talk is all about. So let's move things on a little and look at some uh, assimilations of regenerations for the episode. Uh, for viewers and listeners, you'll uh, remember that an assimilation is something that we loved about the episode and we want to assimilate it with a regeneration, something we weren't too keen on and we want to kind of regenerate it into something better. So who wants to start us off? Mark, is there anything, uh, any assimilations or regenerations that you've got? Yes, there is something uh, I see here in the list that really grabs me for an assimilation. And uh, I want to talk about the hollow communicator that is here listed under regeneration. But I want to assimilate that because I noticed it. And when I saw it, I was like, hey, that's what they were doing in Discovery. That's what they were doing in Strange New Worlds. And I don't remember seeing that technology before, but here it is in Deep Space Nine. And I think that it sort of uh, seeing it there makes me appreciate it more in Discovery and in Strange New Worlds. It's like, oh, okay, they had it then too. So it makes sense to me. But had they not had it, 
it would have made less sense. So yeah, I, think I just it threw it on it the list cool. because it was just such an abandoned concept on Deep Space Nine. I think they used it in two or three episodes and it just seemed a bit naff. So, um, yeah, I find that really interesting that you you loved that and I tossed it on as something we could have done without. I really liked learning about Nog's mom and sort of that contract that they have. Okay. And Quark's like, you signed a five-year marriage contract and then you fell in love with her and then she left you for a richer man. Of course that was going to happen. What what did you expect as a Ferengi? Um, so to hear that was very interesting and it just gave another level to Rom for me. Like, yeah. This guy, he's a romance guy. He's a romantic. And I don't think Primadora's name was ever mentioned again, apart from in this episode. I think it's the one time you hear Nog's mother's name and the fact that you get Ferengi marriage contracts and you can extend them to have children and it's all governed and arranged by the father. And and obviously Primadora is a traditional Ferengi woman, so it completely makes sense that you wouldn't see her she was at someone's house all naked, chewing up the food. Christos, have you got any assimilations or regenerations for us? I do. I, I am very much reminded by a short story that was in Star Trek Explorer called Broken Oaths. And Ooh. it is literally the debate happening at Starfleet Medical about the introduction of the EMH. And there's a big, the, the whole short story is basically Zimmerman versus Crusher talking about you know should we is it ethical to have these doctors and should we be putting this into starfleet and you know is it, it does it take away the bedside manner and the human element of of medicine and whatnot so it kind of goes back to that whole is there one on every every is there an emh everywhere and obviously in this particular episode we're trying to further the emh program and not even have it be emh it's actually going a step further now that this is a full-time doctor and like I said, I just get those. This particular episode reminds me very much of this uh, this story, and even Admiral McCoy shows up in that short story in the debate. So um, it's in Star Trek Explorer, and I think it's in a couple of other. I think there's a new book that has a lot of these short stories in it that just got released. Um, but anyways, it's called uh, Broken Oath, and I think it's a it's a really good read for anybody who might want to uh, get a little bit more backstory there. Amazing. Mark? So one of the things I love about Deep Space Nine is their characters really seem more realistic than in some of the other Star Treks. Like we see the idealism in TNG for sure, and a lot of that as well in Voyager. But with Deep Space Nine, you have characters that are multifaceted. And something that I was reminded of by watching this episode is um, during the pandemic uh i think you know a lot of us had uh bubbles right we had a core group of maybe a couple two or three people we would hang out with them we'd be tested you know but we would we would spend time with these couple of people and um in my bubble uh was um a couple that lived right down the end of the hall uh from me and they also had a dog that played with my dog and um they were um of the polar opposite uh political spectrum for me uh, and voted differently than I did. <laughs> but we had a lot more in common than what divided us politically. And we spent a lot of time together. And um, I'm bringing this up because I want to bring up 
how douchey uh, Quark was in this episode. Now, it's listed, again, under regeneration. But, you know, what I get out of it is you see him at the beginning of Deep Space Nine being a swindler, trying to cheat people, whatever. But he also is somebody that has the capability to be kind, to do the right thing, uh, to stick around when other people, you know, write him off. And here, this is just Quark being Quark and trying to, he's almost like the right winger of uh, Deep Space Nine. Women have, you know, their place in the kitchen and all this, and we kind of eye roll. But he's definitely somebody that uh, maybe I wouldn't agree with politically, but he might be in my bubble for other reasons. I might enjoy hanging out with him for other reasons. So this just showed, you know, yes, Quark was being a douche, but it's definitely uh, the writers remembered who Quark was, and this is totally Quark. Okay, talking about Quark, this is, for me, a huge regeneration, but I'm not sure if you guys will agree. I don't know. So when... Rom finds out that Lita's going on this date and talking to Quark. He's like, well, if you're feeling lonely, here's a new Holosuite program, Vulcan Part 2 or whatever. And I'm like, you literally are going to recommend a replacement of human interaction for a Holosuite. I'm not okay with that. And that's how we can get hollow sweet addiction. That's how we can withdraw from life because you're not interacting with actual humans that you just go to a hollow suite. I'm not a fan of that. What do you guys think? Or am I just overthinking it? Well, I, I just think to kind of suggest that your brother just goes off and cracks one off is kind of a bit creepy and a bit weird in itself. You would, Thank you. I, I, I would never say that to my brother. That's for sure. I mean, I mean it, to the extent it's like recommending porn, like, here you go. Here's yeah. go watch some porn. Would yeah. you do that? <laughs> no <laughs> but yeah the, the, the kind of the douchey aspects of quark I, I was getting at on the regeneration was really that lita has confided in quark that she's in love with rom rom has confided in quark that he's in love with lita and quark is just saying to the their faces well she, i don't think she's into you he, he is you know he could have he could have been nice and said to his brother give it a go i think she likes you but he was, de- he, it was Quark being Quark. You're absolutely right, Mark. He doesn't he was, want his yeah. brother to have a relationship with a Bajoran woman. But I think he was awful. doing it to be manipulative. He, he figured if uh, his brother was happy, maybe he would stop working at the bar. Maybe she would stop working at the bar. Um, he needs them both to be continuing to be doing what they're doing, um, even if it makes their lives crap. Now, that's awful. It is awful. But at the end of the day, like I said in my previous statement, like it's Quark. Uh, I still love Quark. Uh, and when these things come up, it's like, yeah, that's Quark. I don't appreciate that about him. Obviously, it's awful. But there's other things they bring up within the seven-year run of the show that make Quark very endearing. Yeah, because he even tells Lita, well, Rom's an engineer. He likes smart women. Like, come on now to her face. Rude. Yeah. Um, one final regeneration from me, and I, I don't know how you feel about this one, Christos, was during the interview scene, and Worf just says to Dr. Zimmerman, I do not like doctors. 
any doctors. And I automatically, at the very first viewing, I thought, what about Beverly? Yep. <laughs> Is that a horrible dig that Worf's just had at Bev? Well, oh, we all hated yeah. that. Yeah, I mean, Worf and Bev had their definite... Um... Evolution. If you go back to some episodes in season three and four, he's yeah, very condescending to Beverly, kind of like um, in um, the, the high ground. And um, what's the one with? Is it Legacy? The one with Tasha Yar's sister? Yeah, uh, yeah. It's like it's like he. She's had to use. She's had to order him and pull rank on him in more than one occasion because of his views toward her, women, and I think doctors and. They got better, obviously, toward the end. I don't take this as a dig, though. I think that's just Worf and being a Klingon and not liking doctors. You know, um, I don't like what doctors do. I mean, they don't want to be told there's something wrong with you. They don't want to be told to go do, go eat right, go whatever, go go exercise, <laughs> go do. They just don't like to be told what to do. I I don't take it as a dig to Bev, but there is a history between Worf and Bev that wasn't always perfect. Is what I was trying to get at there. <laughs> Yeah, when I heard that comment, and I just went directly to TNG's ethics. Yes, mm. I mean, like, like at that, he was ready to kill himself and try to even get fixed. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> okay, uh, let's let's move on to a little bit of trivia for the episode. Uh, I'm going to jump in and start because I've got a personal connection to one of these. But I always found it interesting that in pre-production for Voyager, the original idea was to call the EMH Doctor Zimmerman this whole concept of the Doctor not having a name, uh, that was the character's name, Dr. Zimmerman. And to the point where I used to have a, a, a poster on my childhood bedroom wall of uh, the big space scene with the Voyager, the ship, and the little character heads, season one profiles. And it said on that poster, Dr. Zimmerman, underneath. Uh, so the fact that they got so far into production and changed their mind at the very last minute and then recycled this aspect to make Dr. Zimmerman the, the human creator character, and here he is on Deep Space Nine. I just love that. I just love the little detail of it, the continuity. What else have we got? Um, Mark, you want to go for one? Yeah, I love this trivia. Uh, producer Ron Moore, this is Ronald D. Moore, added the heartfelt exchange between Bashir and his parents where they explain the sorrow of seeing young Jules struggling in school and falling behind. Uh, episode writer Jimmy Diggs became very emotional when uh, told this, as he had a daughter with learning disabilities, and it all hit very close to home. Um, yeah, I, I can't imagine. Uh, but it's like, you know, that's what the... When Star Trek's at its best, it's pulling from... Uh, things that we can all relate to in our own lives. Uh, and I think they did a great job here. Amy, what have you got for us? Well, Admiral Bennett refers to the eugenics wars being 200 years earlier, but it was actually known to be 1996. So a lot closer to 300 years from 1996 to 2373. Ron Moore admits when called out on this, he says, oh, just didn't do the math. <clears throat> They How need would you to hire me. What a what an Amy's math moment. Um, yes. And then a lot of this got retconned in uh, Picard season two as well. Mm -hmm. mm. Interesting. Interesting. Um, I always thought it was interesting to explore Bashir's heritage in this. Um, so obviously he's got a, a very strong, the 
Sadiq's got a very strong British accent and we just accept him as a Brit. But, you know, having um, the ethnicity of his character explored by meeting his parents and the DS9 companion actually mentioned that the casting of his mother was really problematic because they were insistent that they wanted an Arab American to play Julian's mum. But it became really problematic because there are no actors or actresses uh, of that descent because of the, the Muslim religion would frown upon the acting as a profession for a woman. So they really, really struggled. And they eventually found the lady who did play Julian's mother, uh, Fadwa El Gaidina, who was a social anthropology professor at the University of Southern California. So I just thought how interesting that that was such a, a casting head scratcher, almost an oxymoron, if you will. Interesting. Yeah, for sure. Okay, it's probably time we moved on to our final thoughts for this episode. So Christos, do you want to... Start us off. How how did you feel rewatching uh, and revisiting this milestone episode of DS Nine? Yeah, I um, like I was saying with my opening, I I really like this episode. I feel it's a very strong episode, and just from our debate, you can tell there's a lot of meat in this episode because it's it's had us talking quite a bit. My only, uh, like I said, my only drawback to this episode is I felt the the punishment at the end did not kind of quit fit the crime so to speak and that's one thing i would that's the only thing i would change about this episode i think is that the father would have gotten a a, a stricter punishment yeah and how about you mark what are your final thoughts this episode really lays the foundation for what would become of some of our favorite characters in deep space nine i didn't realize until i started re-watching that this was sort of the foundation of the uh rom leader relationship uh this you know, obviously uh, did a great deal to progress Julian's story, uh, even his relationship with uh, Miles. So there's a lot to mine there. Uh, and so I appreciated that. Um, I love it, uh, especially, like I said at the beginning, like Deep Space Nine, the character development is something that um, we didn't get as much of in some of the other iterations of Trek, uh, but they do it so well in Deep Space Nine. And that's why I love this episode. Great. Thanks, Mark. And Amy, what are your closing statements? Uh, really good episode. It's so meaty. And one thing that Deep Space Nine, well, Star Trek does is showing both sides of an argument of an issue. And we, I totally believed what his parents were doing. They were trying to do it best. I totally understand why Bashir feels like he wasn't appreciated. He wasn't recognized of who he was, that he had to be changed. Like these are meaty issues that extend to us in our day. And it just makes for great conversation, which I think we've had. And yes, the Ram and Lita absolutely love it. Um, what a fun episode. Love it. Love it. This episode came immediately on the back of uh, such a huge Dominion war episode with, you know, Worf and Martok in the internment camp and Ducat defecting to the Dominion and all of the Jem'Hadar coming through the wormhole. And it was that was epic. For this to have no villains, no peril, it be 100% character driven for Bashir and Rom, 
and still be such a formative episode in the timeline of DS9. Amazing. Great choice. I'm so I'm so glad we, we covered this. So that's enough genetic engineering for one week. Uh, Mark, where are we going next week? Next week, we'll be beaming into our medical ethics series again. This is going to be part seven. Uh, and we are going to be, I'm gleeful, uh, covering <laughs> strange new worlds. Uh, lift us where suffering cannot reach. Uh so much i can't even get into how much this episode is cool from the really awesome cinematography to the uh the character development to just the twist at the end that uh, i did not see coming uh but now you know rewatches it's like oh okay it was laying the seeds um i can't wait for us to all rewatch this great strange new worlds episode and discuss it Fab. That should be fresh in the memory. It was only on TV a few weeks ago, <laughs> or, or so it seems. Amy's shaking her head. I think Amy needs a rewatch. Yes, I do. I could not tell you one thing about this episode. <laughs> <laughs> We're not all great with the episode titles of New Trek, yeah. are we? <laughs> so which one's this? <laughs> Fabulous. Fabulous. Excellent. Right, well, we would love to hear what you thought of today's episode and hope you'll join in our Facebook group, The BQN Collective, and continue our discussion there. You can also tweet your thoughts to at AllGoodPod. Please follow the network on Twitter and Instagram at BQN Podcasts. We've also partnered with our friends at Fandom Podcast Network, where you can find us by searching the master feed. So, Christos, where can people find you when you're not resequencing the DNA of all the guys in San Diego. Uh, you can find me in the BQN Collective on Facebook for sure and on uh, Twitter and Instagram at either Greek Geek SD or at What's the T-Bev. And Amy, where can people find you when you're not playing uh, Cupid with Rob and Lita? Well, when I'm not doing that, you can find me here on the network where I'm co-hosting Galaxy Class, which is all about Next Generation and Union Federation. I am on Twitter at Miss Amy Nelson, but my favorite place right there on Facebook are BQM Collective. So, Mark, where can people find you when you're throwing darts blindfolded? Well, uh, when I'm not doing that or making art, uh, you can find me on the BQM Facebook page. Uh, you can also find me if you become a patron of the network on Patreon, where I host a show called It's Green. Uh, and you can find me on Twitter at MarkWhite207. Calvin, where can people find you when you are not uh, turning your lobes to listen to all the great podcasts here on the EQN? Oh, I'm already on that frequency. You don't need to worry about that one, Mark. Uh, but when I'm not tuning my lobes, uh, you can find me on Facebook in the BQN Collective and also on Instagram and Twitter at Kelvin's Timeline. Please hit the subscribe button on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a star rating and a written review. That helps others to find our show. You can also follow the entire network's podcast with our master feed by searching BQN. This way, you won't miss any of our fine shows like Union Federation, Galaxy Class, History with the Zalogis, Infinite Diversity, Mickey's Marvels, Sasquatch, What's the T-Bev, and Trexpert's Quiz. 
At this time, we'd like to thank our associate producers, Mahedran Radhakrishnan and Tim Cooper. A special thanks to Graham Kelly for our opening and closing music, and to Mark White for our Starfleet Medical-endorsed artwork each and every week. If you'd like to help us keep all of our shows coming to you each week, you can become a patron of the network on Patreon. We will add you to the Hive Mind Facebook group so you can enjoy It's Green, Amy's Math Moments, and other network perks. With a monthly subscription of $5 or more, you can join our meetings on the Hive Mind Roundtable discussion on the second Saturday of each month. Visit patreon.com forward slash BQN to get all the details and watch your messages. Thank you for listening. We hope you'll join us as we search out all good things.